Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about election fraud, huge story, interview with Doug Weed, author of an authorized biography, Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency, Impeachment Implosion, and finally, Leftist Tyranny in America, two news stories, and I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hi there, and welcome to America Can We Talk again. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. I want to tease a show I'm going to do one week from today, and that will be on Tuesday, December 3rd. So after Thanksgiving, we have a guest joining us to go over a story I'll just tell you a little bit about right now. There has been a discovery with respect to the accessing of the voter tabulation software in voting machines in Texas, in Dallas, in Texas, and around the country that truly has the capacity not only to change votes once they have been cast by voters, but also the evidence that we'll talk about next Tuesday shows that that actually has already occurred. To understand precisely what we're talking about, I want to urge you to read two things. One is there's an article that is on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down to list of links. It's called Election Fraud on a National Scale. This article spells out how this potential and actual actual occurrence of manipulating voter data within inside voting machine software was made possible by the software that was placed, made possible by, possible by the people who set up those voting machines and enabled access to this possibility. And we'll actually talk through next week with one an expert in studio related to how it was done and what has to be done to fix it. But to understand what's happened, security protections and voting machines were disabled. Penetration and manipulation of actual vote tabulations was and is possible, and evidence already exists that the votes were surreptitiously electronically manipulated to change election results. This is a huge story. I want to urge you to tune in next Tuesday to read the article I just mentioned, and finally, especially for the cyber savvy among my listeners, also on our homepage, americacanwetalk.org, under shows, drop down list of links, you will see actually a link to a lengthy or somewhat lengthy 45 minute, I think it is, video that lays out in detail with actual showing you the computer screens how this election tabulation software was made accessible, remains accessible, and truly permits uh, you know, black hat, they use the expression black hat hackers makes possible manipulation of America's future voting and actually evidence that already occurred in past elections, including calling into question the race in Kentucky with the governor Bevin, uh, the incumbent governor Bevin having lost. So that's my tease for a week from today. And that's the end of my first five today. I want to encourage you to read those articles, watch that video because it's complex. It's not like explaining a simple mistake like I put an extra cup of sugar in the recipe and the cookies didn't come out. 
you have to follow what's being said to understand it's complex, but it is written in this article and again in this video in a way that the average American person can understand there needs to be a grassroots demand across this country to have an investigation by either state level attorneys general or the U.S. attorney general to understand what happened and to fix the problem. The immediate and only solution, which I'm presently aware, is to insist upon paper ballots in the 2020 election cycle. And that, my friends, is today's first five. As you heard in the beginning of the show, we have a guest joining us online. He's actually on the phone, and his name is Doug Weed. He is, by background, a New York Times best-selling author. He served as a special assistant to the president under George H.W. Bush. He is a co-founder and original board member of Mercy Corps. Uh, he has a fabulous resume as a writer um, and also as an insider in Washington with some administrations, uh, the George W. H. W. and then George W. Bush. Um, and he also has organized a, the, a first international charity awards event involving first ladies of both political parties. But the reason he's joining us today is because today is the day that his newest book was released. This is the actual authorized by the first family biography of the Trump family. The book is called Inside Trump's White House, and we have joining us online, Doug Weed. Hello, sir. Hey, hi, Debbie. Good to be with you. I am so glad you're joining me today, and this is exciting. It's your first day out. The book's newly out today. I will tell you that I got off of Amazon this morning onto my iPad, was trying to race through it. Uh, obviously couldn't read the whole thing, but it's a great, great story. You spent two years interviewing the first family in our in the white house and talking and outside the white house talking with members of first family so just to start with what is your impression overall the trump family the sense uh, just the whole family's connection and and your, your sense of the family i was just uh, blown away by uh how uh bright they are you know usually in a family there's a smart one and a dumb one and a sloppy one and <laughs> somebody that's good with um, finances and somebody who isn't. I was just kind of shocked about how talented each one of them was and how dynamic their personalities were. So they were all like uh, little versions of Donald Trump, but but uh, different. I mean, Ivanka's so elegant and gracious. She's beautiful, of course, and she's uh, tall and stately and and then when you meet her she just totally disarms you because she's so gracious it just is uh very impressive okay i want to go to one story i will tell you there are several articles that i read in preparation for today uh, one was a fox story in which you were describing the relationship just a little bit about the relationship between president trump donald trump and his wife melania and the kind of teasing back and forth they do can you just tell us a little bit about that yeah, it's so funny. You know, uh, the readers will love the pictures in the book because there's pictures of of uh, uh, Donald Trump and Melania holding hands and embracing, and that's typical. The media just doesn't show those pictures. But yeah, uh, uh, they're going through hell. They recognize. They'll publicly they'll say, "Oh, we're patriots. We're doing this for the country. It's a privilege. We don't mind. It's okay." But privately, they know the hell they're going through. And sometimes at dinner time, uh, the president will puff himself up with importance and say, Melania, honey, 
isn't this great, this journey, adventure I'm taking you on as first lady? And she'll say, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, great. Uh, sarcastically, the kids think it's just hilarious. Well, I love that. And I will say I've noticed little signs when you see them on television, at events. There's a fondness there I think does come across uh, between the two of them. And, you know, I think the media has spent so much time trying to malign him, denigrate his presidency, attack the family, that I am just thrilled to have a refreshing, honest insiders inside the White House uh, book talking about the, the first family and what they really are, are all about, what they really like. Uh, one other thing you mentioned uh, is in this one article I wanted to ask briefly about was that there was a um, talk about the idea that the president had chosen to, de he decided to run supposedly April 30th, right after the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner of April 30th, 2011. And, but that was dismissed. I guess maybe you're not going to tell us the real story. We have to read the book. But many things, <laughs> is that right? Or will you tell us, how do you really get around to deciding? Or is that you want people to read the book to tell, know the answer? Yeah, no, I'll be glad to tell you, because there's so much in the book. Just stop and think of this, Debbie. I had 600 pages of transcripts of interviews with all the Bush family members and the president. The book's only 400 pages long, so I left a lot on the cutting room floor, so I'll be glad. There's plenty <laughs> for the reader to find. I'll be glad to tell. Uh, yeah, most of the stories about why he decided to run for president and when he decided to run for president, like Bill O'Reilly's story and other stories, yeah. uh, according to the president and the family, are totally false. He was uh, thinking about this for most of his life. In fact, as a little girl, uh, uh, Ivanka remembers being under his desk. He'd get the New York Times, and he'd get so angry, and he'd rip a part of the page off and underline things <laughs> and file them. And, and he kept thinking that somebody's going to come along, and somebody is going to solve all these problems, and nobody ever did. I asked him at one point, why did you finally decide to run for president? He said, you know, you buy a company when it's poorly managed. You always look for a poorly managed company. Then you buy it and you clean it up and you can sell it as a profit. So you never buy a company that's well managed. He said, I ran for president because we had two presidents in a row that botched everything and I could fix it. So that was a part of his rationale. That was interesting to me. Oh, I just love that. So you say you have 600 pages of transcripts of your interviews with various members of the Trump family. So you talk to, obviously, President Trump. You talk to Milan. You talk to Ivanka. You talk to other, like uh, Jared. I assume you talk with him a great deal? I, t I did not talk to, with Melania. I talked with all of them but her. I talked with okay. Tiffany. I talked with Jared and Ivanka. Jared is so enigmatic, absolutely fascinating, the stories that I got from Jared uh, Kushner. He is a brilliant uh, man. Yeah, I, I know. I'm actually aware he, he's a very, very bright man. I also want to call attention to our readers. And again, I think it's on our website. Uh, but you also have a column out, I guess it was in Town Hall a few days ago, on this Thanksgiving, thanks to a president who has given us peace and prosperity. What a great tribute to what President Trump has actually done for our country, capture, captured in just this one Town Hall article. But the other reason I wanted to have you come on today was I'm understanding that because you have a book coming out or coming out today that's really very positive about President Trump and the first family, You've actually received some menacing threats. Can you tell our listeners about threats to you because of this book? 
Yeah, that's amazing to me because, yeah. uh, you know, Anonymous can write a book. All these people can write books with, with the hearsay and anonymous sources and no citations. So I write a book that's completely and thoroughly documented and tells about the children and all that's going on inside the White House and the private quarters of the White House. And uh, I about uh, a month ago, I guess it was, I'd have to look it up online to see when I got a death threat. Uh, they, the author of the threat knew the names of my children. Oh. I have five children, went into great detail, said if your book is published, they're going to be bathed in blood, and on and on it went. My publisher said, you don't have to do this book. You know, we'll let you back out of the contract. And uh, the family said, full speed ahead. We're not going to let freedom of speech be destroyed by some. Then I got another death threat. A few weeks after that, from someone in Texas, <laughs> of all places. Well, whoever and that person said, is, we're kicking him out of Texas. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Weed needs a effing bullet in his head, it said. And then last oh. night, t- today, by the way, the book was just released, as you pointed out. This is its first day. And last night, when I got to the hotel here in New York City, uh, the unique signature of the person who's uh, sending these death threats came through. Uh, with another email so they're watching what's going on and they're monitoring it but uh, you know you got to be able to speak freely you cannot let anonymous people dominate the news cycle and uh, write history you've got to have uh, primary sources write history who is saying this what is their name and what is their authority to say this and uh, in a hundred years Historians will look back. They're going to want to know what Donald Trump said. They're going to want to know uh, what uh, contemporaries said today, not anonymous people. Absolutely true. And I will tell you, when I was reading about the death threats, I did read about that a little before I came in today. You know, part of what the left, I, I think, thought was that they could manipulate public opinion during the campaign to be so anti-Trump and during the, with the media and the American left, so anti-Trump that they just would have uh, sullied him to the point he couldn't win. And then after he won and they continued to attack him and they had the whole Trump-Mueller collusion hoax, the Russia hoax, and that fell apart. And I think what your book is probably really troubling to some leftists is because you're humanizing someone they have tried to demonize as mean-spirited and simple-minded and incompetent and not very balanced. And when you present a human being to the American people through your interviews at the White House, that's what sets the left off. What do you think about that theory? Yeah, I think that's a good theory. You know, on on election night, early on, when the networks decided that uh, Hillary Clinton would win, uh, uh, some of Trump's staff came to him and said, what are we going to do? What are you going to say? He said, I'm just going to go downstairs and go out on Fifth Avenue. I'm going to tell him I tried my best. I'm a patriot. I love my country. And then I'll get on a plane tomorrow and fly to Ireland and play a game of golf. It's going to be okay. And then at one point, Brad Parscale sat him down and said, sir, you are going to win. I have different models I'm using, and the network numbers are wrong. You are going to be president. You're going to win. 
said, Brad, that may be true, but if it isn't, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And then later that night, he's watching on TV. It turns, and he's winning. He's leading. And he sees these Clinton supporters at the Javits Center, these young ladies, and they're weeping. And we got to go. They're saying, come on, we got to go. He's looking at the screen, and he says, look at this. Look at this. Imagine how they feel. And he knew how they felt because that's how he had felt like he'd been kicked in the stomach earlier that night and uh, his heart reached out to those Clinton supporters. Wow, he had a nicer reaction than I did on that night. I wasn't wasn't sympathetic (laughs) for those folks at all. Doug Weed, I want to just commend you, congratulate you on writing a book, The Authorized Biography of President Trump. It's called Inside Trump's White House. It's now available, I can verify, on Amazon. And I appreciate your writing. And thank you so much for joining me on this great, exciting day for you, the first day with your new book out. Thank you, Debbie, for celebrating with me. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for joining me, sir. Best of luck with the book. Okay, folks, thank I have to, you. Thank you. I have to tell you, folks, this is the coolest thing. First day out, this book is really going to rattle the left, I think, for exactly the reason I said. Because this author is saying, I sat down. I talked to them. I recorded conversations. And this is an established author, an authorized biography, not a hit piece by a leftist who tries to contort things. And I think this is the the left's biggest fear, because I think that more and more Trump supporters do think of him as a good, decent man doing good things. They see past what some are bothered by, kind of a brusque and and brave and and outspoken personality. And they see the the humanity, the warmth, and the uh, Um, and, and the intelligence of this man. And if this book succeeds in helping more and more Americans see that image, understand uh, a different Donald Trump than the media tries to paint, uh, it's going to be another big headache on the American left. So again, Doug Weed, the book is Inside Trump's White House. Urge you to get that book and enjoy it. I'm so glad he could join us. I want to turn now and talk about my next topic today, uh, which is the um, this idea. I, I called it the impeachment implosion, and I want to tell you why I say that. I know everyone's been talking about the idea that as the impeachment rolls along, there are signs that within the Democrat Party, some of the people who within the Congress, members of Congress, some people who are really queasy about speaking up and saying, you know, yes, let's impeach this president. I'm with it. I want to impeach him. The Democrats are losing steam even inside the House. One particular person, Democrat Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence of Michigan, actually formally came out, formally came out and said she didn't see the value of kicking President Trump out. Why don't we just censure him? Okay, this is huge. I'm going to guess this woman did not say that to the media without permission from the powers that be inside the Democrat Party. They're trying to send signals to the American people. This this uh, impeachment thing is not going well. So they have someone who didn't want to have to vote for censure. She's out. They also have poll numbers. Oh, oh before I go into the poll numbers, I got to tell you something that came to my attention. You know, we've been talking about this impeachment. We've gone through, we talk about witnesses and what this person said and that person said and, and who's speaking hearsay and who's just, who has any first, you know, firsthand information. There was a lengthy article out in the Vanity Fair magazine, which is very leftist, anti-American, you know, leftist magazine. Vanity Fair had a piece out talking about will Trump be impeached? And it goes on and on and on and on by who's got to line up behind the impeachment and who's going to be against it and what possible grounds can we find? This article was written 
and published in Vanity Fair before President Trump was even sworn in. It was published about 10 days after he won the election. The left was already strategizing, how can we impeach him? And I raise that just to say, many, many alleged thought leaders, and I use that term loosely referring to leftists, thought leaders have decided early on, some way we're gonna get this guy. They didn't even have a basis for it yet, and in November 2016, they have no basis for it now, but they are, were determined to get him. But back to where we are, why I say the Democrats' impeachment is imploding. We have poll numbers going, all in the wrong direction for the Democrats. We have a number of Democrat voters saying they're paying close attention, dropped by five, per, five percentage points. Independent and GOP voters who report that they are paying close attention is also dropping. Um, now only um, 59% of independent voters, and they're just saying they're paying attention. They're not saying they're watching these proceedings, and they're not saying they're watching because they support it or don't support it, but the number even paying attention to it is going down. And after they had actually, um, after holding steady at 70% in the past two surveys, the overall number of voters said they are, they are following the probe fell again by 5%. So I'm getting at people are tired of it. And this Democrat Congresswoman is, is kind of helping the Democrats test the waters. What if we just censure this guy? We have Adam Schiff. We have a quick uh, clip of Adam Schiff being interviewed on um, some CNN show. And he's basically asked, well, are you going to go forward and impeach? So I want to quick just play this short clip with Adam Schiff, who again is the House Intelligence Committee chair, the king of the Democrats in this impeachment proceeding. Do you think President Trump should be impeached? I want to discuss this with my constituents and my colleagues before I make a final judgment on it. Okay, he went on and on and on and on. I, I can't stand listen to him. But even he is not saying, yes, he should be impeached. He'll say, yeah, you know, I think that probably we, we put sufficient evidence together. I think enough was laid out. We could. But even Schiff is giving himself some room to backpedal. God, talk to constituents. Two other stories I want to mention about this impeachment, just to understand you, if you watch CNN all day, well, first of all, shame on you if you watch CNN all day. But if you do watch CNN all day, you might think the entire country is behind impeachment because after all, the cheerleaders on CNN are behind impeachment and they make it seem like everyone in America is behind and supportive of the impeachment, except of course, the crazy Republicans. But actually, Democrats, dark money, left-wing money is being spent to try to lure people to vote for the impeachment. Soros, George Soros linked dark money. This group is running ads uh, in the districts for vulnerable Republicans, trying to get them to get behind impeachment. And again, this is another article available on my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links. You can go read this yourself. The names of the group. Soros always does his money in sometimes a squirrely, snaky way. One organization funds another one, funds another one. And thank goodness for the uh, type of people who will just dig in the forensic researchers and get you to the point and say, yeah, this is just Soros money. Soros is running ads in Republican districts trying to encourage people, uh, Republicans, to get behind impeachment. It's not happening. Republicans have, except for uh, Mitt Romney, but Republicans in the House have not uh, broken rank yet. There's also another um, concern that I want to mention just briefly. So John Solomon, one of the most, there are few remaining actual investigative reporters, and he now has his own website. I think it's johnsolomon.com or John, I'm not sure what his name is it, but anyway, uh, he's, it's johnsolomonreports.com. 
he has made a very helpful posting to is really a way to assist the, the uh, Senate Republicans. If the House votes for impeachment and it goes to the Senate and they've got to do document digging, they've got to find the information they need. John Solomon has given them a 12 point list of all these documents that President Trump could authorize for release. And if Trump authorized these for release in a Senate impeachment hearing, uh, you know, to, for removal, uh, there would be astonishing major uproar on the American left. The, the left is trying to get this impeachment done while still hiding all that their players, including the Bidens, were doing inside the Ukraine and Hillary and Soros and State Department money. And so this is a brilliant piece just laying out, you know, here's a whole bunch of information the Senate could be looking for. Uh, you know, and I want to mention one other thing, a poll number I think is driving the, the left completely crazy. And that is this, the American people were asked you know, how much do you care about the impeachment versus how much does, do the Democrats care and how much do you care about the impeachment versus how much does the media care? Here is the outcome. And these are independent voters saying this. This is what's making the Democrats so nervous. Independent voters are saying that the impeachment issue is more important to politicians than it is to me. 62% of independents said, yeah, the impeachment issue is more important to politicians than it is to me. They see this as a politician entertainment show. Also, same group of voters, independents say that impeachment is more important to the media, the media, than it is to me. So these independents saying, and so that number was 61%. So basically, you're, get, you're well over half of the independents polled think this is an impeachment being pushed by the politicians, by the media, and not, and it's something they actually just simply don't care about that much. So this impeachment implosion, I'm telling you what I think is gonna happen. I mentioned yesterday, one idea that might happen is that they, you might have the Democrats come out and say in some kind of magnanimous, you know, we just feel at, at the end of the day, we have an election coming up in a year. We feel it's the most ethical thing to do to stand for the right of the American people, to choose their president. So out of deference to the American people, we're not going to impeach. Find some noble reason. You know, the other thing they could do, Nancy Pelosi could do, is just say, you know, why should we, the House members, go through this impeachment when we know it's going to go over to the Senate and the Senate is just going to refuse to remove him? I mean, she could say essentially, blame the Senate. They're a bunch of Republican, you know, cowards and they'll never stand up for what's right. And so why have put the country through the impeachment if you know the Senate won't remove him? I think they're far, the Democrats are very, 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 very concerned about the idea that if this case of impeachment ever gets in front of the Senate, there are too many skeletons in too many Democrat closets that they do not want out there. This is about the last thing they would ever want is to have this entire impeachment tried in the U.S. Senate. One last topic for today, and I want to mention something before I turn to this. I, I call this uh, leftist, I call this topic leftist tyranny in America, two news stories. You know, one reason I do this show, and I tell our listeners usually at the end of the show, I do this show to speak up for the extraordinary, unique greatness of America, that this country was founded on extraordinary and vital and important ideas about the rights of man, like the Declaration of Independence says, that we have rights from God simply because we were created and that these are inalienable. We have the right to live in freedom. We have the right to have, we have a government with the consent of the governed. We have a government 
designed to, its primary purpose is to protect the right of the individual to live in freedom. This is what America is. This is what America was intended to be was founding, since its founding. And this is what is under siege in this country today. What's under siege in this country I can, is, is the mindset of the leftist tyranny, tyranny-minded leftists in this country, the people who think that their job in getting elected to government is not to govern, is not to follow the Constitution, follow the standards in the Constitution, uphold the Constitution, respect the idea, the founding idea of America as laid out in the Declaration of Independence, that we each have rights from God simply because we were born, that we have rights, male and female, all of us have rights. The tyrannist mindset, the tyranny-minded American left has no interest in perpetuating, sustaining the founding ideas of America. The American leftists, and I'm not talking about every Democrat, I'm not talking about you know, your grandmother down the road who's always voted Democrat because you know the little guy or unions or whatever reason. I'm talking about the leftist mindset that has captured much of the American left that is truly tyrannical, that does not see its job to be to uphold your rights, to respect the Declaration of Independence, to respect the Constitution, but instead they see their mission in running for office and their mission in being in office to force their will on the American people. That's what Obamacare was when the Democrats had control of the White House, the Senate, and the House. They forced socialized medicine down the throats of the American people because they could. This is the mindset of a leftist. You work to push the left-wing, government-controlled society vision because you think, as a leftist, you're smarter than everybody else, you're entitled to rule, you're entitled to force your, your values and your vision for America on the American people, and the last thing you wanna do is have to listen to the American people. So when I talk in this show about preserving America, I'm talking about preserving the America that was envisioned by the founders that says, you have the right to live in freedom. And the reason I do this show is to make these arguments to the American people, to everyone who listens, everyone who shares this show. And if you love what you hear in this show and you appreciate it and you, and you support it and you send it around to your friends, number one, I ask, share this show, do the active things on social media, like this page on Facebook, Share this page, share these postings. On YouTube, subscribe to YouTube, comment. I love the ongoing comments on YouTube. And also, if you're on Twitter, listening on Twitter, I, I urge you to be part of the conversation. Retweet, respond. I love this conversation about America. America was founded on this idea of robust political debate about the rights of man. And if you love this show, I'd also ask you to consider supporting it. This show, America Can We Talk, is requires funding to continue. I want this show to be on air all of 2020 and frankly, for the rest of my life. I will do this show as long as I am able to be speaking up for the idea of America, but I do need funding. This show is not free to produce. I've never been paid one penny in the five years I did the show on, on terrestrial radio, on, on AM radio, um, or the time I've been doing this podcast. My husband and I have poured our dear bought treasure into making this possible, uh, and we, we love doing it, but I do need your financial support. On my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, there's a donate button. You can hit that button, and there is a, 
You can make a donation via credit card by um, a recurring donation, a, you know, a monthly pledge, which is the most extremely helpful to know we have some money coming in or a one-time donation. But any donation you can make to help the show will be deeply appreciated because we, we do need your support to keep the show rolling. And I think you listen to the show because you believe in the ideas I'm talking about and I'm asking for your support if you can do it. And if you can't support it financially, I still urge you to share it in every way you can. And thanks for that listening to that little pitch. Okay, final topic for today about tyranny in America and two stories. When I say the left is tyrannical, I am not exaggerating when I use that term. I'll give you two examples, two recent stories. One was in the state of Maryland where, you know, we, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C., Maryland's a left-wing state, Democrat-majority state. You know, they are, they're very, very left-wing. So in, and actually, this is actually in the county. My husband and I moved to Texas uh, from Maryland, and this isn't from a county, uh, in a county near where we live. We didn't live in this county, but we live, you know, relatively near it. So in Howard County, Maryland, and you may, this is not just, a, just an issue related to school districts in Maryland. It has direct implications to the tyrannical mindset of the American left. In Howard County, Maryland, the elected school board, so people go and they elect a school board. The elected school board issued a ruling last Tuesday voting to implement a massive 1970s-style busing program. They want to forcibly bus school students inside Howard County to make a more economically balanced school system so they are busing poorer kids into wealthier areas and students from wealthier areas into poorer neighborhoods. This is a forced busing program passed by the Howard County School Board. They had the first vote, so they knew this was on the agenda. The people showed up at that school board meeting to say, no, don't bus our children, don't do it. That school board, they held one vote where the, the motion to get the school board forced busing passed failed, meaning the people opposed to school busing won the argument. The school board voted, no, we're not going to bus. So they had that vote four to three. So, you know, four people to three people. So after that vote failed, one of the school board members named Jennifer Mallow said on air, on record in front of people, we need to go back and have a conference. We need to go back and have a conference. Um, she motioned to move, to move to have a private meeting to get away from the public, the school board in private back room, they go to a meeting, they come out of the meeting, one of the school board members is crying as she came out of the meeting and she changed her vote to yes. So the school board voted, obviously arm twisted this one school board member. So now they're gonna have forced busing starting in 2020 in this school district in Howard County, Maryland. Understand a few more amazing facts about this unbelievable story. Number one, the goal of the busing is to balance poverty rates. Even though the school district acknowledged, the board acknowledged, they have no evidence, no evidence that forced busing or bringing about a balance of poverty rates in these public school populations will in any way enhance the performance of the school students in the lower income areas who are not doing well. No reason to think this plan will work. 
but they want to do it because they are virtue signaling leftists who think they're proving how much they care about poor people. Second of all, this is a busing plan that will move about 5,300 children around the county to achieve their balancing of poverty rates. They also had, you know, citizens weighing in. They had citizens coming to the school board or submitting a written, I guess, emailed or written position on what do you want the school board to do. 6,650 pieces of verbal and written testimony were submitted to the school board opposed to the busing plan. Over 6,000, over 6,600 pieces of communication from parents in this district saying no to the busing, 150 pieces and supported it. But the school board did not care what the people thought. They did not care what the parents thought. They did not care. They were elected by these people. But this is an example. When I say the left, the leftist mindset is tyrannical. This is a good example. They didn't care whether their program would work. They didn't care what the people who elected them wanted. They decided we are virtue signalers. We are morally superior. We're going to force this on them, like it or not. And the people are saying, uh, not. And so I also, I'll close out. This is one of my two stories about just this tyrannical mindset of the left. Or I guess you can say three stories if you count the fact that Obama and the Dems pushed through forced socialized medicine in the form of Obamacare when they had the chance. Leftists will always do the most radical thing ever, ever that they can, given the chance. They have that mindset. You seize the power when you have. You do as much as you can. And the ends justify the means. It doesn't matter if you're ignoring the voices of the people. And you know, under Obama, you had poll after poll telling them, do not pass Obamacare. Do not bring socialized medicine to America. And the leftists, the leftist mindset, tyrannically minded, they have tyranny on their minds. They are government-control-based thinking, not freedom-based thinking. So one last point about this story in, in Howard County, Maryland, was that the board member who had made the motion you know, wanted school busing, who called for a private meeting, pulled the board members away when, the, when her motion failed, actually had the audacity to issue a statement blasting the citizens who showed up to tell them basically, you're lucky you're allowed to hear this proceeding. You're lucky you're allowed to be here. And don't you go waving signs while we're talking and don't you go criticizing me on social media. She actually scolded the American public, her constituents, to say, you better not you criticize me. Who, are you, who do you think you are to criticize me? Okay, story number one, Point being, the left is tyrannical. Story number two. And by the way, wait, 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 wait. One more thing. Back to Howard County. Howard County actually happens to be home, the home of people who've escaped the repression of communism. Both Chinese immigrants to America, Bulgarian immigrants to America, who came to America to escape communism. They've been posting on social media. Here's just one example. Someone, a Chinese immigrant, escaped communist China, named Ming Du, wrote to Mallow on social media, it's a sad day, Ms. Mallow, a very sad day. You've completely repainted the image for the elected officials in a democratic society. I've never felt so belittled in front of a government official in America. I was stunned to hear you rebuking your constituents, a scene I've not seen ever since I left the tyranny of China 26 years ago. I thought America was different. 
That is until November 7th. They have comments from another guy from Bulgaria. Martin, Martin Dimitrov uh, wrote in Bulgaria during socialism and what transpired with the redistricting brings black, brings horrible flashbacks from totalitarian times. This is slippery slope, folks. Be vigilant, stay engaged. Another Bulgarian said, I grew up in the Soviet Union and the great fight for social justice is a slogan straight out of the old Soviet propaganda posters. Lenin and Stalin used the quote, the end justifies the means all the time. If the goal is morally important enough in their view, any method of attaining is, un is acceptable. And there we have it. Corruption, wrong data, communities broken apart. So as an independent voter myself, I urge this group to become an educational resource to the 300,000 residents of Howard County on the dangers of blind ideology. I mean, these are former people living under communist repression saying, what happened? I'm here in America and the same dang thing I tried to escape from China and from Bulgaria is happening right here in America. Second story, I'll keep it very short, but on the subject of, I'm telling you, the leftists in this country have embraced tyranny. They sell tyranny as kindness. Don't worry, we'll take care of you. Don't worry, we know better. We're smarter than you. You were not smart enough to figure out schooling or where your kids should get to go to school. You're not smart enough to figure out your health care. We have to help you because you're too stupid. We have to control you. So the other story very quickly was there was a, a professor at Columbia University. He was from the country of Romania. Romania had a horrible communist repressive state for decades. He explained, he's a theater professor. He was formerly, by the way, I want to get his title. He's from Romania. He was formerly the general director of the Romanian National Theater. He escaped Romania, came to Columbia, and he quit Colombia saying, Colombia has become like the communist country I left. Colombia, Ivy League. He gave two examples. He gave an interview in Romanian television in the Romanian language, but someone translated his two stories. One was they were looking to fill a staff position uh, in the theater department, and he was basically told, you can't hire a white man who's married and is heterosexual and has children. No, no white men, no straight men, no heterosexuals. You have to find either a gay, a transgender, a transsexual, or at least a, a racial or ethnic minority, preferably a woman. And he's saying, what about, he said to the school, what if the best person happens to be a white heterosexual? And the school said, too bad. Too bad, you can't hire him. And so he's saying, this is the mindset that he saw in communist countries. They dictate no thinking on the part of the people allowed. Second example he gave when he finally quit Columbia was this. He was uh, doing, uh, which play was it, Romeo and Juliet, I think. He was doing, uh, putting on a performance of one of the you know, magnificent classics. I think it was Romeo, yeah, it was Romeo and Juliet. So somebody tried out for the part of Juliet, which is, as you like, you know, the girl character, a woman, a girl. So someone tried out for it who was a, a guy, a male want to play the part of Juliet, but he's saying he's male to female transgender. So it's not really, it, it's not a woman trying out, it's a guy pretending to be a woman or wanting to become a woman. And so when he said, I don't think that's a good call, that doesn't seem like a good person to cast in the role of Juliet, a guy, he got criticized uh, first by his colleagues 
who were blaming him for expressing dissatisfaction with a guy, he calls it a transsexual woman, it's a guy, playing the part of Juliet, and he got criticized by his colleagues and the school for not casting this transgender, transsexual, whatever the term is, you know, a guy who is, wants to dress as a woman and, and live as a woman wouldn't cast him in the role of Juliet. And he's, you know, that's enough. But he's getting at not just the, and this is another good example of this t- tyranny mindset I was talking about. The LGBTQ community in America, you know, went from advocating for the right of same-sex people to get married to the idea where we are today in this country, which is they dictate to everyone, to anyone, what they must think, what they must believe, how they must see transgenderism, what they must believe about transgenderism. They dictate what pronouns you can use, how you may speak, and whether or not you're even allowed to hold the opinion that when you're casting for Romeo and Juliet, you might want to cast a woman in the role of Juliet. And he's just saying, we've let this professor, we've let thought control of the radical leftists in this country take control and the grown-ups, the intelligent, the sane are no longer in charge. And now my friends, I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And the first story is, from election fraud, uh, I cannot urge you strongly enough, this is new, profoundly dangerous territory in election fraud in this country. Again, next Tuesday, December 3rd, tune in. But this is not ballot harvesting, it's not absentee ballot forgeries, it's not votes from the graveyard. This is the worst and most nefarious kind, electronic cyber vote tabulation manipulation. The white hat hackers in Texas have uncovered this, the tracks of manipulation in the 2018 elections and the Kentucky governor's election. And if nothing is done, this will be the blueprint for the 2020 elections. Read election fraud on a national scale at americanchemitalk.org and watch the related video titled episode 70 at economic war room. Judge for yourself what happened. Bill Barr needs to get on top of this. He needs pressure to get on top of this. On the short impeachment update or the impeachment imposition, um, blue state Democrat rep voices, a, you know, this is a Michigan Democrat, voices dissatisfaction with the impeachment process. Um, and um, I'm sorry, I'm getting text from, excuse me, a voice impeachment with the impe- uh, process promotes censure. Even Adam Schiff won't commit to getting the impeachment done. Polling shows cratering public support for impeachment particularly among independents and in swing states. Everyone knows if we get to the Senate, Joe and Hunter Biden, Adam Schiff, Charamella, the secret whistleblower, Vindman, all would be exposed to questioning in the Senate trial. And, and the Democrats and the deep state do not want this to come out. Their role in coup number two, which this is, and potentially coup number one, will be made visible to the public. Pelosi's looking for a way to climb down. She may just do a preemptive smear of a partisan Senate won't let us get rid of him. Third topic for today, leftist tyranny in America, two news stories. A Maryland school district defies its constituents, imposes busing against the will of the citizens, and votes behind closed doors. Chinese Americans object, this is communism. 
a Romanian professor at Columbia resigns because the school's academic culture is like being back under communism. Leftism is about imposing absolute power, not implementing the will of the people, controlling disagreement by silencing free speech, belittling the motives of those who disagree with them and ignoring constituents. Elitism, we know better what's good for you and you will submit is now leftist standard operating procedure. The American heritage of self-government with freedom of speech is under assault from today's leftists. And that my story, my friends, and that my friends is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you for listening. Come in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Tune in to America Can We Talk. Share this, help me grow this show. I'd so appreciate your support in every way to grow this show. And remember to always speak up for America because America matters. Talk to you tomorrow. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you